Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Zenway Podcast. I'm your host, Zenway. Uh, I spent the last decade at the intersection of uh, tech and also social sciences. Uh, this podcast is all about life, career, and tech. So, uh, today I have a very special guest. Uh, I am very happy to have a dear friend, Sien, on the podcast today because I've always enjoyed all the conversations I have with her. Uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your journey so far, right, Sien? Mm. Uh, around... Uh, how you wanted to actually pursue education but mm. went into studying music mm. then into risk consulting and right now really trying to uh, you know find your way into education right so I find that journey really fascinating so uh, first of all thank you so much for being on the show and why not you introduce yourself a little bit to everyone that is listening alright thanks for having me uh, to begin with but you know actually <laughs> that question yeah it seems like a very simple question, uh-huh. but it's actually a very difficult question to answer because yeah. yeah. humans are very multifaceted. But yeah. anyway, hi, uh, I'm Sien Hui. And I guess, yeah, from a career perspective, I guess I am in a limbo state at the moment. I majored in music back in undergrad, went into risk consulting, like what you mentioned, completely um, different field. And now I'm trying to navigate myself back into education, which is an area that I've always wanted to be in to begin with, actually. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about education, right? Because at mm. the end of the day, uh, you know, from, a, I guess, you know, Asian uh, family standpoint, it's not a very typical career path that is uh, being, being encouraged, unfortunately. So yeah. can you share a little bit about what got you into thinking that you want to get into education in the first place? Right. I think um, the idea came about when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I started having piano lessons maybe when I was four and I was very fond of my music, my piano teacher, for I guess very superficial reasons. I found her to be, firstly, you know, she just dressed up really well, had a way with the students and I guess I found that really charming and I thought to myself like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I get to be someone like her when I grow up? Mm-hmm. So that idea of being a teacher has always been at the back of my mind since I was young. And then came a time when I was 12, um, so that means when I was in the six, and my primary school teacher actually sat me next to this boy that I was not fond of. Wow. Um, and my task was actually to support him in terms of academics what that looks like would, um, I guess, would be um, helping him with his homework and answer any questions that he had about work, schoolwork, right? And I detested it, actually. Yeah. Um, You're probably wondering, it was, is, is this like a punishment? What, yeah, what did pretty I do much. wrong? <laughs> and my teacher knew that I was not fond of him. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. but over the months, I actually... We actually grew closer and actually saw improvement in his studies as well. And I think the the moment for me was when I found that he actually did pretty well for UPSR. And when I found out about his results, I felt really fulfilled. I think that moment itself was like a, wow, I think this is Mm. something that I really want to do. Like I want to have a career or some sort of work that would make me feel this way. Yeah. So that idea um, just has been sticking with me throughout. Yeah. 
my life pretty I, much. I, I wish that, you know, your primary school teacher is really, uh, you know, smart about it as well. Because yeah. I remember that when I was in, I, I think, standard two, which, which we were, what, eight years eight, old, yeah. right? Uh, I remember keep forgetting my homework. And <laughs> the only way my primary school teacher was, was, do, was, was, was showing... Uh, love to me was tough love, and I yeah. needed. I remember needed to do do my my homework in the corridor. So only oh. if if only if I have a friend that you know like really guided me mm. with with my homework back then as well. But it really goes to show that you know the the kind of role models you have. Uh, yeah. you know, in, in from, from since young in terms of education is really spectacular. Yeah. Um, and you, so then tell us a little bit about then what happened. Uh, like, you, then you went into uh you know studying music, right? So how right. did that happen, and and what was the consideration about? that mm. so for that basically i went to the states right for my tertiary education and in the university i was at there was no major in education available mm. but there was a minor so i did minor in education but when it came to choosing a major i was thinking oh i just want to choose a subject that i was interested in and honestly did not think that much about future planning, right? Um, I knew I was interested in music and my university was really into ethnomusicology, so world music, learning about different music cultures. And I thought, oh, that is something that's really different and I don't think um, I would be able to learn that back home. So that's why I decided to major in music. But having said that though, I, you know, me being Asian as well, you know, I needed like some... Backup plan, I guess. You to buy insurance. Yeah, huh? <laughs> pretty much. So then, um, when it came to choosing subjects, yeah. I also picked, um, I guess, like the safe classes that would, you know, make me look more all-rounded in terms of resume. So mm-hmm. I also took the, I guess you can call it so-called Asian traditional subjects like math, econ, uh, data analytics, so on and so forth, just to like balance out my CV. Mm-hmm. So yeah, although I majored in music, I also did a couple of other classes um, just as like a safety net, I guess. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always, I'm, I'm always kind of like interested in all these very, uh, you know, non-conventional kind of majors, right? Mm. Like for example, uh, th- there are people who, are, who major in history, for example. Yeah. And I think, you know, majoring in music is something that is uh, pretty rare, at, mm. at least, you know, among, among the circle that I know. Mm. Can you share a little bit about what do you actually study, uh, you know, when, when, uh, what are the kind of subjects that you, that, that you learn in, you, you mentioned about ethno, ethno musicology, uh, music, musicology right. right? So is it, it's not just about mu- making music at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think when I mentioned that I major in music, a lot of people tend to ask me, oh, so do you like specialize in a certain instrument? Um, although I did play the piano growing up, but in my uni, we actually had to, we don't specialize in a specific instrument because they were trying to do this whole like holistic curriculum thing, right? So we had to do um, um, music theory, history, and also performance. And I pretty much did all, I mean, you can call it random, but I would call it interesting, (laughs) Uh, different kind of um, subjects. So that would mean like introduction to like South Indian music, I also did Japanese taiko, what else? Chinese ensemble, and also I think my school also offered like um, West African music, 
Indonesian gamela, really just music from all different culture and all different parts of the world, right? And yeah, like you mentioned, it's really not just about like learning um, the music itself, but you also learn about the history part of it. Um, how did the instrument and the music culture develop over the years um, throughout history? So it comes from different angles, I would say. Right, yeah. got it. And in terms of, uh, you know, were there, there, it's quite a diverse, mm. uh, you know, uh, I guess types of music that you mentioned. Were the, uh, I guess the, the teachers or the lecturers, you know, from the respective culture or they are just yeah. very experienced, uh, you know, in that particular music field? Right. I think it's a mix of both. So we actually have, uh, we actually had an Indonesian gamelan like specialist who came all the way just to teach wow. gamelan. We also have um, different professors who were not from, let's say, um, India, but were very interested in um, South Indian music. Mm -hmm. And they actually went over to India to specialize in that particular field. Interesting. And decided to come back here to mm. teach the subject as well. Got yeah, it. so it's a right. mix of both. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So it's very interesting to see, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you mentioned about minoring in education right mm. then what kind of subjects do you do you do do you do like developmental psychology yeah. or do you do like you know i i guess different learning pedagogy and and learning styles and, and stuff like that yeah we we definitely had a variety of subjects i personally did developmental psychology which was my favorite subject mm -hmm. uh, we also did psychology of reading right um sociology education sociology as well um and we also had to do I mean, it depends on which subject you want to take, but yeah. there were also classes where you can teach in the local schools and then write like your reflections about it as well. Yeah, so mm. you did, so you did that as well. So yeah. did that kind of like reinforce your, I guess your passion and curiosity in you know eventually yeah. going into the education field. Yeah, what, definitely. Do you have any stories that maybe like kind of reinforce like yeah, you know this is this is the right path, or you know like it it feels like you can do this right. Right. I think the one subject that really sparked my curiosity was developmental psych, mm -hmm. uh, which was one of my favorite classes. I think in that particular subject, we learned a lot about a child's developmental milestone. And prior to going to uni, I actually did teach in a kindergarten. So being able to kind of like map what I learned to what I had seen prior to that was really fascinating, you know, to just see what their developmental milestones were and how they were forming their identity throughout those years as well. And I think, I personally find um, that age group very fascinating. So, yeah, I think after learning that subject, I was like, wow, I think this is something that I would want to pursue in. Mm, mm. Yeah. And you know, fast forward, um, you know, is is it a four year, four year, four year degree yeah. as well, right? So fast forward four years, and then uh, what happened, right? Because it sounds like you're pretty set already. Your interest right. is all aligned, right? You've got the necessary, you know, education in place as well. Then mm. you went into something that perhaps uh, quite common in terms of you know, as a first step, as a stepping stone for for, for a lot of careers, right? But not necessarily for for education. Right. So then you know, what happened over there, right? 
Yeah, good question. What happened? I guess um, at that point of my life, when I came back to Malaysia, I was actually teaching in my own uh, alma mater. Mm. I was teaching in a national Chinese primary school, and I actually really liked the work. You know, wow. I really enjoyed teaching and just being with the students. Right. But the thing that was lacking was really like the environment, right, mm. that I was in. So all my colleagues were pretty much aunties, mm. right? They were like my teachers when I was still in wow. primary school. So mm -hmm. although I liked the work, but that was not the kind of environment I saw myself um, growing in. Like I, I guess when I first graduated, you know, I wanted to be like in a vibrant, young um, environment. Yeah. And that was just not right. it. So yeah. at the it's point, hard to connect when your colleagues are you know of yeah, a different life stage and, and all that, right? They'll be yeah. talking to me about their kids who mm. are my age. Right. Like, sure, I mean I can I can, you know, have those kind of conversations, but right. I wanted more. Yeah. You know, I wanted more. Yeah. So mm. I think at that point of time, my then boyfriend, um, who was more into like the corporate route, right? Like consulting, mm. investment banking, um, he proposed an idea to me which is just give corporate a try, right? right. Um, just give it one year, go in, um, just to see how it's like. After that, decide whether it is for you or mm. not. And a part of time, I was honestly a bit skeptical because right. I still had this whole like, oh, I'm really into like social cause, you yeah. know, public education, that sort of right. mindset. Right. Was there, was, there, was there a story that mm. made it even harder to, to, to embark on this one-year trial, right? There must be, I mean, like mm. you've been teaching at the school. There right. must be some encouraging stories that, you know, maybe, maybe it was a feedback from the teachers or the, or the parents uh. or even the students as well. Right? Was, there, was there a story that stand out to you when you were teaching at that primary school? Mm. There, there are a couple. Yeah. And I think the one that I always think about mm. was when um, I actually taught English to this class. And I think they were in standard four so primary four like about like 10 10 years old right mm -hmm. and there was this one particular student he you can tell that he's generally more like introverted um it's more shy right? right but then in my class i found that he was very um interactive right i still he was actually participating mm. in um the activities and he was engaged you know wow. i could tell that he was engaged throughout the class right and in terms of academic performance um, I think he was above average nothing right. much to worry about but then when it came to like the parent-teacher conference his mom actually came up to me and asked me like is my son okay mm -hmm. right um, he's already going for one tuition class right for English do you think I need to send him more wow. uh, and yeah. I was like oh but I don't think you need to worry that much about our son because I think your son is doing more than just fine right like mm. he's really uh, participative in right. class and she was actually quite shocked mm. um, to hear that and she told me this one line was mm. that my son is only like this when he's with you mm. and I was like oh wow like mm. that I think that was right. really something right uh, did you me. dig deeper in terms of like what 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 did you do differently that this this person mm. has responded so well to you huh I I never got to sit in to observe like how other uh -huh. teachers did. So I don't Fair think yeah. I really have yeah. that yeah. insight. Yeah. Um, but I think perhaps what I may have done differently is that 
I didn't really stick to the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> I, so you're the fun teacher. It's like, yeah, you know, let's, no, need, no need to follow all the books and pre- all the time, you know. I mean, I try to cover yeah. whatever I needed to cover, but yeah. when there's extra time, I would do something different. Ah. So, I think during that particular time, it yeah, was Deepavali, yeah, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Okay. So, and coincidentally, there yeah. was actually this one Indian girl in class, right? right, right? right. And I wanted to take this opportunity to get the students to learn more about the celebration. Oh my goodness. So I remember Yeah, that would have been so fun. Yeah, so yeah. I um I actually got this girl yeah. to come come forward uh-huh. to share about, you know, her Deepavali experience. Right. Uh what what does her family do uh-huh. to prep for it, you know, prior to the day, on the day and after as well. And she even brought Muruku wow. for all her classmates, right? And it was just really fun, you know, I still mm. remember like um it was like a Q&A feedback session Not feedback, sorry right? It was a Q&A session for yeah. the girl as well You know, yeah. all her friends would be asking So what do you do on this? Why, mm. why do you prepare this? You know, and the girl would just be answering questions And everyone was just having fun wow. So I guess um, that was something that yeah. I intentionally did wow. yeah, yeah, to make things different Yeah, yeah. yeah that would have been super yeah. fun I think, I think, you know, mm. if, if you did that Then definitely I can see why, you know, the, the, the mm. person was, you know, so much more engaged. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so then, you know, coming back to this, like, okay, you've got so much, you, you, you had so much fun right. and, you know, you've, you've, you've made an impact in someone's life and now yeah. you're, you're, go, you're, you're about to consider going to the dreaded corporate, the boring corporate <laughs> robots world, right? Yes. So then, how, how, how do you felt like, uh, uh, you know, and then going into it, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm, I think... Like I mentioned, right, I was very mm. skeptical about yeah, yeah, yeah. it, but mm. I decided to just, you know, um, take the leap mm. anyway. And I realized that it wasn't as bad as I thought, right? Um, I think my um, impression of the corporate field, like before I went, it was like, oh, everyone's like mean, you know, mm. trying to, I guess, like, Backstep each other, right. you know. It's I think a lot of distrust. Yeah, you know, a lot like, of distrust. A lot all for of like, themselves, yeah. yeah, like just trying to like climb up the rank. I had, I guess, a very negative impression. Um, maybe due to media, I think. <laughs> uh, and it also didn't yeah. help, right? That the university that I was in was really like anti-capitalism, right. that sort of thing. So, yeah, I guess I had that image. Right, but after going in, I realized that it really is not as bad uh-huh. as I thought, and in fact, I had a lot of fun. Um, I think I managed to find meaning in the work that I did at the department that I was in. People were great, right? Very supportive, and a lot of people were perhaps around like the same age mm. as I was, and I could connect with them really well. So yeah, I think the environment was just really conducive, and I managed to find meaning of the work that I did. So that's pretty much why right. I stayed on, right, mm. for seven years. Yeah, actually, yeah. a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> One year became seven years, so it's like yeah. seven X return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So but then you know like okay, so so how do you choose I guess consulting as the as the path to go into, right? Mm. Because you could have so many different options as well. Right. Uh, you know, why consulting and you know, on top of that, risk management is something that, you know, if if you have never been in an industry or never been part of a corporate, mm. you probably think that, you know, it's something quite elusive, right? So how do you mm. end up in that in that area as well, right? Right. I think um there's really no 
fancy story to this. It was just that <laughs> I basically cold emailed um, the HR wow. PIC right. from the firm and she replied. We met up. We had such a great talk, honestly, because mm. she herself, I think she studied journalism in Paris. Right. And then she found her way into uh-huh. HR. Um, and when mm. I was, you know, sharing my story as well, I think she could relate. And mm-hmm. after we made that connection, mm-hmm. she basically told me like, okay, I think there are two departments, like two roles that you could consider. One required like really strong proficiency in Malay, which I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And the other one was um, the one I went in. Um, so that's, that's pretty wow. much I went, how I got into risk consulting. How really. old were you and you, know, you just randomly found this person's email and you decided to just go for it? Or? Right. Um, I, got, I got that email from another friend actually. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think I was yeah. about 25. Yeah, right. 25. 24, 25 right. when I went in. I'm starting to see a pattern yeah. because obviously I, I, we, we talk about like cold outreaches and cold emails and stuff like that. Oh, this is, so yeah. this is probably the, f- the, the, the f- probably not the first time, but you know, the first yeah. few times you have done it, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Interesting, right? I, I, think, I think, you know, like being able to kind of just do that cold email outreach and mm. you know, having a great conversation mm. is also a skill to be, to be learned as well. I, I don't think I've ever you know, prior to this, have ever really did a cold outreach and say like, hey, I'm really interested in joining your organization and this is, this is what I think I can bring to the table. So, mm. yeah, that's, that's something to, to learn from you, I think. <laughs> I think, honestly, like, yeah. pure luck, fate, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Everything yeah. is time and opportunity at the end of the day, right? Mm. But you, you need to be... I, what, what people always say that you need to be ready for the opportunity kind of almost true. like create your own luck, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I also true. like this uh, part where they talk about uh, increasing your, your surface area for, for luck to stick. Ah, okay. So you're kind of doing that, right? So I, I really like the okay. analogy where like, you're just, you know, just sowing as much seeds as possible yeah, yeah. For, for, for the surface area to grow, for luck to be able to stick more likely yeah. to stick, right? So I, I, I really like that approach as mm. well. And by doing that, I guess you have nothing to lose, right? Even if Absolutely. it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, you know, mm. we're all faced by like, you know, what if I embarrass myself? What did they oh, laugh that's at me? True. You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, so yeah. Kudos on you. Like, good, good, tw- <laughs> the, the brave 25-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, risk management, um, tell us a little bit about that, right? Because mm. for even for, for some of us that, you know, perhaps were not in, I guess, the risk management department and all that mm. kind of stuff, it can come across as quite check-the-box kind of exercise or, mm. you know, it could be really just compliance-related. can mm. be quite dry, right? So yeah. can you explain it, you know, in, in, like I, I, I guess like we are five years old and, you know, what kind of kept you going for seven years as well? I think, um, okay, if I have to put it in like really layman terms, mm. what risk management essentially is, is that you want to put in certain controls in place so that the organization doesn't face any sort of crisis. However, if shit really hits the fan, mm-hmm. right, you would be ready to respond to it um, and not, have, not having to go through such a huge impact because you have certain measures in place already. So um, I guess if I had to really give an example, so let's say... Um, fire, right? Fire is always like a hazard. Mm-hmm. So what risk management would look like in this example would be, you know, to put, um, I guess, um, fire insulation materials all around your premise so that you won't, your, your premise won't catch fire. However, 
in the event if it really happens, then you have certain measures in place, like you have like the fire alarm, you have the fire extinguisher, so that even if there's a fire, it wouldn't turn out to be that bad. Right. Yeah. Right. So it also includes like you know I I guess like escalation protocols. And, yes. You know correct. emergency processes. Codes. Right. Yeah. Got it. Correct. Was was there a I guess an interesting. Uh, I guess project that you worked on that mm. that, that, that kind of stuck with you, uh, you know, throughout these seven years. What stands out to you in terms of like uh, uh, some of the interesting things that you have done? Right. Yeah. Um, I think before diving into yeah. that, I wanted mm. to mention that actually risk management is such a broad, broad. area, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, and what I personally did was this specific area called business continuity. Ah, so what yes. it is is that we come up with contingency plans for clients mm-hmm. in the event they face an operational crisis they would know how to respond to it right. and how they would also recover their business right. so that there so won't continue be... continue to operate, yeah. hence the term continuity. continuity right. Correct, essentially that. Right. Um, and I think one of the more interesting projects that I did was actually a healthcare provider. Mm. So I think a lot of all the other projects that I did was very, um, what do you call it, like very corporate office type of setup, right? right? But this one, we were looking into a hospital. Mm. So we actually had to speak to doctors and nurses as well. Like, so what do you do in the event of, you know, there's a fire, but you are midway conducting, uh, performing, right? An operation, oh. right? How do you, what do you do, <laughs> right? Um, how do you quickly sew someone up? And right. after sewing that person up, where should this person go to, go to. right? Um, is there like a specific triage area? Mm. you know, for this yeah. particular patient and how do you transport this mm. patient to which hospital do you want to go to, right? Um, right. To resume the operation. Right. We also talk about, you know, how power do you... Power as well, right? Yeah, It so always happens things. in movies where, you know, power outage, you know, we have five patients in the ICU yeah. on life support, you know, what's going to happen? Correct. It's going to fit in 30, 30 minutes, one hour, you know? Exactly, right, right, right. exactly. Those on life support as well, ICU, ICU mm. patients. Um, how about walk-ins? Do you turn them away or do you like um, transfer them to somewhere else? Are there options but it's a fire? You're walking in like, hello? Oh no, so <laughs> they have already walked in and then the fire happened. Oh no. Uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. They're not walking in while the fire is happening. I'm like, whoa, you have to be. I mean, it's either a fire is <laughs> non-visible or you are like desperate. <laughs> yeah, a delusional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like yeah. those are patients who yeah. are not admitted. Right, right. right? Um, okay. And when a fire happens, how mm. should the management deal with them? Right. Mm. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Right. And I, I, would, I would imagine that all these things would have been really tested, uh, you know, during the, during the pandemic, right? Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. So in terms of like, mm. you know, what, what were some of the advices that you were giving to some of these organizations? Mm. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't say that every, um, everybody foresee this would have happened. Mm. Uh, but how does how did that help your clients, right? What are some of the things that you've, you've done that actually help your clients in the end? Right. Mm. Um, a lot of times, even prior to the pandemic, we already started talking to clients about remote working, mm. right? But the mindset was not there, right? right? It's the last, last thing, thing that will happen. Last yeah. thing, yeah. right? So um, although we would have already um, talked them through how do you actually come up with a remote working arrangement? Right. It was only truly activated you know, and tested when the pandemic happened, mm. right? And obviously right now, we are living you know, at a time Very when... Used to it. Yeah, yeah, everyone's already talking about remote working, so yeah. it's, it's already the culture. But yeah. I think back then, that was one of the advice that we gave, but they were quite hesitant mm-hmm. you know, to right. 
to go for it, right. but th- times are times have changed now. I would say. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Mm. Were, were there any? Did they? Did they invest in any? Let's say, like for example, you gave mm. the advice. I hear we talk about remote working, right? Mm. And and we know that you know risk management and, and and some of these things requires investment, correct? Infrastructure and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, did they did they invest anything, or is it really like pandemic that time is like okay, like we've got no choice. We need to buy stuff and and implement, right? Oh, we've got a mix of both. Right. Um, uh, it really depends on the culture, the senior mm. management team's view as well. So some of them, you know, um. Let's say if they were more PC heavy, mm-hmm. we would have already advised them, you know, to look into laptops, laptops right. already. Right. Some took the advice, some didn't. Right. So it was really a mix of both. Right. I would say. Those yeah. who are who bought the laptops must be like, oh, thank goodness we did yeah, this, right? Yeah. Correct. Correct. So, you know, the the funny thing about um, the work that I did, right, was yeah. that you can only kind of see the the fruits of your labor mm-hmm. when. That's a disaster. Yeah, correct. Something bad happens. Correct. When something really <laughs> bad happens, and yeah. firstly, you do not wish that upon to happen, right? Yeah. Any yeah. um on any organization, yeah. and secondly, it also rarely happens. I mm. would say, right? Yeah. So when the pandemic happened, that was really when our plans got tested, mm. and I think what I found really fulfilling, right, was when one of our clients actually came up to us and said, like. Hey, we are so glad that we engaged you to help mm. us with um, business continuity prior to the pandemic. Because when you know the whole movement control order was in place, we were a lot, um, I guess, more ready. Like, right. You know, right. in terms of yeah. responding to mm. the whole MCO situation as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really tricky. I think one of the yeah. clients that we were supporting. Uh, but obviously, from a well-being angle, uh, mm. when 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 we were at thoughtful, was really they're talking about how uh, they needed to do the A team and B team kind of situation right. as Speaking. well. There's quite a there's quite a lot of them that did that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, there are di- a different site to mm. to ensure that business can can okay. can continue. Correct. So in case your A team, you know, touch wood, everybody kena yes. COVID, you know, and it was infected. Uh, the other team can continue working yeah. as well, right? So yeah. I think that they, they must be really grateful for at least being a step ahead of what happened, right? Yes. Right, right, yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, seven years is a long time. How oh. did you... I know that you mentioned that it is at the back of your mind in terms of education and stuff right. like that, right? Were there anything that kind of from time to time, just kind of like veer its head. It's like, hey, education, hey. <laughs> or, you know, like something that maybe <gasps> sustain your... What, what did you do outside of, 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 of consulting to really just, you know, sustain that, that, that curiosity or, or, or maybe passion in, in right. education, right? What, what was that to, that kept the ember alive, so to speak, right? I think, mm, yeah, like you say, it was always at the back of my mind, but I've got to be honest though, like the working hours I had was really long. Mm. So even though I wanted to do like um, voluntary work, yeah. I really could not afford mm. to do that. Yeah. But how I kind of kept myself being in the loop of ne- like um, the development was like just uh, follow news. And also sometimes there were like online conferences uh, related to education uh, that I would partake in wow. as well. Okay. Yeah, just to find out more. Right. But that was really all there was to it because I didn't have the capacity to do mm, more. Right. So I guess to answer your question, right, about what was the, you know, at which point I decided like, all right, yeah. I wanted to, you know, refocus and go back into education. Um, I think for me, when I entered the firm, I realized that, hey, it's not that bad, right? Mm. And that's where I decided to set 
three goals right for myself right and then came a time when i actually already met those goals mm. and when it came to asking myself okay so what's, what's next, next right yeah. can i see myself going up right the ranks um i couldn't i couldn't answer that question right right, right. or yeah. I couldn't see what are the goals that I wanted to set for myself mm-hmm. in the firm. Although, you know, yeah, there was still a lot of learning opportunities, yeah. right? And that was when I knew like, okay, I think I need to make the switch, right? And thankfully, I knew that education was the field that I wanted to go in. Mm. So that was when I was like, okay, um, it's time to, you know, yeah. redirect, refocus and try to navigate back into the I industry. See. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess I had a similar like a story as well in the sense mm. that the I've I've set some goals, you know, managed to kind of hit all of them. And then mm. when I when when I look around, I guess my seniors and the yeah, leaders, correct. I I started asking myself like, do I want to be like them? Uh, and yes, then you're like, exactly. <laughs> maybe not, you know, yeah. like you know, like uh, good for them. Yes, of course. But yeah. I, I I just couldn't see myself yeah, yeah, yeah. being like them. For yeah. sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. I I I can totally understand. Mm. And and sometimes I think. Uh, you know, consulting starter pack always includes a, a phase where you you just don't have capacity and just so consumed by or by it, right? Yeah. So, uh, so then I guess you know we 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 kind of fast forward a little bit in terms of, um, uh, you know, having having a career break. So I'm on mm. a career break, uh, mm. and I remember that. You know, when you first started your, your career break, you were like, you know, I just want to chill. If you want me to come to your house and cook breakfast for you, I can. I'm like, yes, I need somebody to cook breakfast for, for me. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, still, I'm, still I'm still busy working, right? Uh, and, and, you know, that, that, that was like, you know, it's like Amanda and I was like, yeah, you know, it would be great if, if we can have you as, 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 as our friend that will, that will cook breakfast for both of us, right? Happen, <laughs> but it happened in other ways. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I mean, jokes aside, I yeah. think, I think I think you know it was I think you were probably the if I remember correctly you were probably among the close group mm. of friends that we have you were probably one of the first few that, that took a career break yeah um, and and tell us a little bit about that right because I'm right. I'm on my one month plus into my career mm. break and they will I, I kid you not there will be certain times where you know my toxic trait will, will, will come out and say like I need to be a little bit more productive that's mm. why we're pre- you know recording a <laughs> podcast now <laughs> but yeah. but you know it's, it's very hard for you to kind of like really be really focused and there's a lot of games that you play with yourself right? yeah. so can you can you share a little, little bit about you know how long has, has your career uh, break been mm. and what are some of the things that you, you've been doing and you know I guess the lessons learned of uh, taking a career break. Nobody mm. teaches us how to take a career, career break, break. Yeah, right. That's true. So, so tell us a little. Share share mm. it with us a little bit, right? How long has it been? What are some of the things you've learned and you know kept yourself like, uh, you know your well being in check and you know productivity if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, I quit my job last December and it's August now, so it's been about eight months. Mm. I think I was quite certain, right, that. The moment I quit, like I just really needed to rest, right? Mm. Just needed to like not use my brain for a bit. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, take the opportunity to kind of like try out and venture back into education. Mm. So what I did was I actually took up a nannying job. Wow. Right? Um, it's not like education, education, mm. but basically, um, there was this person, um, that. I follow on social media and she talks about like respectful parenting and that was an area that I've always been interested in and she was you know looking for a nanny and I pretty much just applied Mm. uh, for that job so that was something that 
I took up during my career break and I really enjoyed it. Wow. I learned a lot mm. about parenting. Uh, also, just it touches on ed- education as well, right? Like, how course, do you talk yeah. to kids? How do you raise them up? Mm. Um, so, that's one thing I did. And I'm currently part-timing in a kindergarten um, that I helped to set up with, um, set right. up long time ago. Mm. And that's what I've been doing as well. And it was just really nice, I guess, to kind of like venture back into teaching. Because right. when I put in my resignation letter, a lot of my colleagues actually came up to me and asked, hey, so you plan to go back into teaching? And my standard answer was always like, oh, adults just drain me <laughs> so much, right? I don't think I have the patience and right. energy to teach anymore. Right. And when this opportunity came up, you know, I wasn't sure how... Like you how would respond you, yeah, to it, right? Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah. And then when I went in and I realized that, oh my goodness, turns out I still have a lot of patience just for kids. <laughs> Can't say the same you for compa- adults. You compartmentalize. Yeah, you know? yeah. Can't say right. the same for adults, but for kids, yeah, right. I, I think because I always give kids the benefit of the doubt. Right. Can't yeah. say the same for adults, but. I get yeah. what you mean, right? I, I, I saw a line uh, a while ago and talk mm-hmm. about like the world really have no patience for you if you can't teach yourself just by Googling something for, yeah. for like five minutes, you know? Pretty much. So <laughs> unfortunately, you know, the expectation and I mean the ease of access mm. to information is as such that, you know, you've got to be like extremely resourceful. So I kind of yeah. get what you mean when it comes to the adults as well. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, the... Uh, I guess maybe the question to ask is really that you know you've 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 went back into teaching you know seven mm-hmm. years later you've you've rediscovered that hey you know there's a lot of uh, patience left right mm. great other aspects of education mm. has it changed you know did you find back the same magic that you know in the primary school what what did you mm. observe that that has changed you know over the over, over the course of seven years mm. it I could be that nothing has changed which is very sad for the for the yeah. for, for the country but you know uh, I think that. Hmm. I I can't generalize this, right? Yeah. But the kindergarten that I'm teaching at is really different, I would say, from because our typical yeah, yeah, from our typical like Asian traditional upbringing. So the kindergarten uh, that I'm teaching at, we use this approach called the Reggio Emilia approach, and basically we believe that children are you know, their own individuals and we see them as independent, capable and competent individuals, right? Mm. So our role as a teacher is not to like dump knowledge into them for them to right. absorb, but it's more of like getting them to explore their own interests and guided by them, we will then step by step figure out mm. how to, you know, perhaps uh, further develop a certain skill. But right. it's always like led by the child's interest. Mm. This is completely different from, from how, you know, our national Mass school production. system. Yeah, right. So Factories. Yeah. Exams. Correct. You know. uh, but one thing I do see is that I think parents these days are a lot more open to this kind of approach. Mm. I think if we were to dial it back to like a decade ago, if you were to, you know, try to sell this approach to parents, parents would be like, oh, so you're not going to teach my kids ABC <laughs> or like math, right? right? Like I need to prep my kids for primary school, right? right. Um, and yeah, I think right. that focus is perhaps slowly shifting. Right. And I think that is a wonderful thing to see because right. I think kids that age, right, for like uh, kindergarten, pre-K mm-hmm. age, yeah. I think that is the best time for them to Just develop. as much as possible. Yeah, right? and like develop social emotional skills, mm. right, rather than teaching like the academic stuff. I see. Because we believe that eventually they will pick it up. Right. 
but it is you know instilling that curiosity that interest you know trying to find out mm. what they like that's the focus that yeah. should be the focus for right. that age group right yeah. could you mention the, the 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 name of the approach one more time is right. it retro amelia right. retro amelia retro amelia yeah. okay so okay so it's basically a name of a town in italy mm. and i think after world war 2 right um a couple of I think not a couple. Sorry, like there was one particular thought leader slash teacher, mm. together with like the parents and other teachers of that town. They kind of came together to figure out um, how do they um, so like quote unquote like rehabilitate the children right. after like the post World War trauma. Oh, and they wow. decided mm-hmm. that the way to actually get them to slowly transition is through play. Mm-hmm. So the whole approach is really um, you know led by the child's interest and is very play based. Right. Right. Mm. Right. Right. I'm, I'm. I can't help. Maybe this is an occupational hazard of mine. I can't help but to put on the tech slash product kind of lens to this, okay. right? Because it sounded like this approach is hyper personalized, right? Right. Because it's according to the kids' needs and stuff like that, mm. and hence, in the product term, not very scalable. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, how do you deal with? So, I, I guess you know another way to ask the question is really that you know it's it's great if the if the class size is small. Mm. But let's say if it's fifteen people, twenty people, hmm. is that approach still going to be applicable? Or generally speaking, the, the the kindergarten that you work at, that's the reason why they tend to keep this class size small, for example. Right. Yeah. That that's exactly it. Right. We do keep the class size small, but on top of that, mm. I think when we figure out that oh a particular kid has a certain interest, we will actually talk to the other kids about it. And okay. Try to right. gauge, you know, if they are interested in it or not, and because one of the focus is also collaboration, right? Mm. That's what we want the kids to learn. Wow. So even mm. if it's not necessarily your interest, right. how do you find ways to also like collaborate and work with other uh, children? Um, okay. But I think at that age, you know, um, instilling curiosity is yeah. not as difficult. I right. would say, right? This uh, is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's yeah, do this. Let's do that. Correct. Right, correct. Right, right. Like kids. That age, they generally are already quite Open. curious, yeah. right? So if you yeah. were to introduce like a new topic, they will be like, "Oh, what's that? Why? Yeah, How? yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not okay as difficult. Yeah, difficult. Yeah. I would Got say. it. Got yeah. it. So how how small do they keep the the, the classes? Uh, I think currently it's about like fifteen to twenty. Okay. Yeah, Got in it. the class. Right, mm. makes sense. Mm. And you know, like, so you've you've uh you've you've done that uh teaching and stuff like that. So what's what's ahead for you, right? So mm. uh, we we had a chat, you know, bef- yeah. uh, you know, outside of this, and you've mentioned that perhaps in class teaching itself may not be the be all and all that you wanted to do in education, mm. and there are, there are other things that you are interested in as well. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about um you know what are you trying to work towards, right? And and mm. and you know what have you learned along the way? You know have did you speak to anyone that perhaps have guided you along the way? Yeah. Right. I mean, to be really honest, yeah. I do not have like a clear end goal at the moment. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I think I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. I know what I don't want though, but uh-huh. I I don't. Okay. What do you don't want? What do I don't <laughs> want? I think um, when people talk about education, it's very broad, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, For sure. And yeah. I think the one track that I'm not that keen to explore is um, management. As uh, no, no, not management. <laughs> I think management is not too bad, but I think like assisting right. uh, students in application to tertiary education. Oh, prepping for SAT, yeah, 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 coming yeah, yeah. up with personal statement. Um, great, valuable work, yeah. but not something that I can see I myself see. Um, doing. Okay, okay. Um, in terms of um, my interest, honestly, it's very broad at the mm-hmm. moment. And I hope that in time, I will figure, 
it out slowly. Yeah, um, it's absolutely fine. I think right? yeah. um, if I had to name some, I'm interested in like education policy, mm-hmm. curriculum transformation, to a certain extent, at tech, tech as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, I really enjoy um, teaching, mm-hmm. but I feel that maybe for this season of my life, I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. However, I really can see myself going back into teaching, right. perhaps uh, when right. I'm in the um, next phase of my life, mm-hmm. right? right? But for now, I, I want to do something else. Yeah. Um, currently, I'm exploring opportunities in um, private higher education mm. institutions right. um, and also education NGOs. Right. Um, I am toying with the idea of grad school as well, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking perhaps I need to kind right. of figure out what my next career move is first before going to grad right. school. Yeah. You know, a, a good friend of mine always said that, you know, if you see one thing uh, on, a, on a surface level, there's always mm. 10 things behind it. So you've mm. mentioned quite a few things there, which meant that you have done a lot, a lot, a lot of research. Mm. So it, it's not, I can imagine it being not easy to kind of navigate such a broad area. And obviously like, you know, you're only starting to do this after like seven years, yeah. right? Can you share like, you know, what kind of support system do you have? Or, you know, mm. who do you speak to to kind of get some guidance when it mm. comes to that, right? So perhaps that could be a resource for, for anyone that wants to kind of really explore the education field as well. Right. Uh, I think when I think of a support system, I really firstly have to thank like, the friends around me. Mm-hmm. So I've been, you know, talking to my friends about my um, current situation and almost always, like, they will be like, oh, I actually know someone who's currently in the education field doing so-and-so, right? Um, why not, uh, you know, let me connect you with them. Maybe you guys can have a chat. And yeah, it's really just through that I've met a number of people and just hearing about you know their journey into education as well and that also kind of helped me give a sense of like okay what's a track that you know, I'm interested in um, or not and I've also just been I guess going back to a co-messaging random people <laughs> as well um, I, yeah. yeah yeah pretty yeah. much uh, yeah. there was this one lady um, that I met at the one of these like um, online forums, uh-huh. um, not forums, sorry, conferences that right. I attended. Yeah. And I just kind of just dropped her a LinkedIn message. I was like, hey, um, yeah. I saw you um, speaking at this conference. You know, uh, can, I, can I meet up with you to just like learn more about, um, you know, the industry and your organization as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll be meeting in two weeks time. Nice. Yeah. I've also reached out uh, to this other individual that I've been following online for many years mm. now. So she was involved in an education NGO and also the education ministry. Wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the one pretty amazing thing about this is that strangers that I've never met, they are so willing to just give me their time, like, you mm-hmm. know, just to come out and meet right. and just share with me their journey um, and just give advice as well. So this particular uh, lady that I met, uh, we talked for quite, quite some time. Mm. And I think the one advice that she gave, um, okay, not, maybe not advice, but I think the question that I had for her, right, was actually, do you have an end goal? Do you know what you already want to mm. do, right? Um, because you're trying to answer that for yourself as well. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah, like, yeah. And yeah, exactly, right? right. Um, yeah. That is the question that I've been struggling myself, right? Like, what is my end goal? Yeah. And her answer to me was, 
honestly, my end goal is as simple as I just want to be a subject matter expert in education. Mm. So whenever someone has a question related to education, the first, the first thought that they have is, oh, I need to ask so-and-so about this and find out what her view is. Right. It's really as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Because I always thought that you know your angle has to be really specific you know very detailed like i need to be in this particular line doing this particular work in right. this particular organization mm. for example but just knowing that hey actually it's okay to have such a general goal and also she was sharing with me that you know all her career opportunities were really not planned out right uh, when she got into the education ministry was really when um, there was a political change right in the government and that opportunity just came up right, right? so it kind of made me um, think that hey it's kind of okay right. to not have everything all figured out at once mm. yeah, yeah and just go through the motion yeah. I mean yeah. from the sound of what you shared right obviously mm-hmm. I don't know the, the specific details around the, the behind the scenes but it really just sounded like if, if her role were to be a subject matter expert, for example, mm. uh, then, for example, the, uh, 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 you know, the opportunity to go into this field will mm. arrive if, let's say, like, for example, if she uh, you know, is the first person that they reach out to, if there's a change in government, if there's a yeah. change in, uh, I guess, you know, structural changes and stuff like that, she mm. will be the first person that has yeah. been reached out to, right? Yeah. And I think also... Uh, she have definitely would have done a lot of her networking yes, and all that kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. Right? That I think she really yeah. put herself out there. Right. You know, she was documenting. You know, her journey. You know, in the industry. So a lot of people um, knew about her mm. prior to all those opportunities. So when they think of these um, opportunities, she was the first person that came to their mind. Mm. Yeah. Right. 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 Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's very encouraging to hear that yeah. you know, people are so willing to help out people who mm. are just starting off. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, relating to education, uh, you know, we, we've always talked about uh, various things, like you talk about developmental psychology, and one of our, yeah. you know, conversations that we recently had was your fascination around, you know, attachment styles. Huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so, so we, 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 had, we had quite some fun on, on, on that topic, mm. so I thought, like, you know, perhaps maybe uh, to kind of, as the, as the final part of the conversation, let's talk a little mm. bit about attachment styles, as I, because I think that it is, you know, closely related to, you know, education, and also, most importantly, uh, it also affects us on how we showed up in, you know, our various facets of life as well, right? Yeah. So uh, maybe let's, let's have you talk about what is attachment styles. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's start with that first. Okay. So like my understanding yeah. right, of attachment style is that um, how your relationship with your primary caregivers uh, when you were young actually kind of translates to how you show up in your other relationships in life after you've grown up, um, that could look like, you know, um, maybe in the area of like romantic relationships or even like platonic friendship or even just work. But I think it does show through the most through um, romantic relationships. Yeah. And there are four types of attachment styles. So there's secure, um, anxious, avoidant, and a mix of anxious avoidant. Mm, right? right. And I think before people think that this is like some woo-woo crap, right? <laughs> Pop psychology yeah, nonsense correct, correct, that is not right. backed by any research. Yeah, but <laughs> um, I think 
I just want to mention, right, yeah. that I first learned about yeah. attachment styles yeah. when I was doing my developmental psych course, right? Yeah. Basically, there was this um, experiment yeah. called the strange situation experiment yeah. where a baby is left in a room um, by the parent. Like, so the parent walks out, right, on the baby and they basically want to see the reaction of the baby when the mom walks out of the room and also when the mom returns, returns. to the room, yeah. right? Yeah. And that particular experiment then kind of diverged into what we know as like present day attachment styles as well so right. it really is not some woo woo crap right <laughs> i think there is a lot of basis you know yeah, yeah, um yeah. i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i developmental psychology unfortunately is not one of my favorite subject but mm. i do remember that that is actually one of the experiments that yeah that, that were they were taught as well so i think i think the uh the the, the basis for that is really that uh it shows how uh, secure a, a, a child is right and mm. I think that you know it has a lot of implications right so how, how it shows up uh, at work you know and yeah. in, in relationships as well so maybe let's talk a little bit about um, how it affects uh, I guess uh, you know when it, when it comes to a relationship first because I mm. think that's probably something that is quite direct in that sense right right so you know how you know, could you give an example of how your different attachment styles can manifest in relationships right Right, so um, I think before I dive into yeah. the examples, right, I just want yeah. to put a caveat yeah. right, that although secure attachment is yes. ideal, right. it doesn't necessarily mean that the other attachment styles, the are other bad. insecure yeah. attachment styles are bad, yeah. right? Um, there are a lot of um, pros and benefits that do come out mm. from that insecure attachment styles mm. as well. Um, so yeah, just wanted to yeah. put it Let's out talk there. About, okay, before you, we, we go to my question, okay. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with that, right? Right. So you talk about, I guess, you know, there are actually different aspects of the different attachment styles that can be a benefit or, you know, it yeah. can be used constructively, right? Correct. So tell me a little bit about that. Right. Yeah. So I guess let's say, uh, perhaps you can use avoidant mm. attachment, okay. right, as an example. So someone who is avoidant, um, perhaps back in their childhood, right, their primary caregiver was not necessarily emotionally unavailable. Um, mm-hmm. Was not emotionally uh, available, available, sorry. Right. Yeah, so what happens is that the child does not feel supported emotionally and they have to kind of cope with difficulties on their own. But because they are not armed with the resources, the tools and support, mm. so what ends up happening is that um, they would not be able to process emotions. They will compartmentalize um, and pretty much just try to ignore what has happened and then move on with move life, on, right. right? But what ends up happening is that um, these people feel that it's difficult to actually emotionally trust someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you don't process these things, eventually come it will somewhere. come up yeah. somehow, someday, yeah. somewhere. <laughs> uh, and the person perhaps might feel very overwhelmed right. and not yeah. know how to process okay. all of it. Right? Fair enough. Um, so what is the beautiful aspect yeah. right, of an avoidance? Yeah. So um, avoidance, because of you know, their need for space, right? because mm. they feel like they cannot um, immediately, immediately f- um, yeah. be intimate or close to someone, so naturally, I think that they could be very respectful when it comes to boundaries. Right. 
right? right. They, they are able to, you know, yeah, if you have certain boundaries right. set, yeah. they will respect it because right. they themselves also have, they right. have their own um, boundaries, boundaries as, as well. well. Right. Um, I guess another thing is right. that they are very calm, mm. right? Because perhaps... Compartmentalize. Yeah, yeah, they are able to yeah. compartmentalize and yeah. like logically process certain things. Right. Um, and right. at the same time, I guess, oh, right. perhaps when they were younger, um, they had to find ways to calm themselves mm. down, right? right? Because there was no adult who could help them with that. So naturally... They have to... Yeah. They have to calm, calm themselves the, down. Yeah, right. so yeah. that could be one of uh, their traits as okay. well. So there are beautiful aspects to it right, as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think you, you, the moment you mentioned about that, right? I think, mm. I think you just kind of like prompted me saying that if you're, if you're, ha- you have a, if, if you are so blessed to have a secure uh, mm. attachment style, it doesn't mean that you're an angel because you could yes. be overbearing to someone, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, right. why you don't want to be best friends with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. But having said that, I yeah. think a, what differentiates yeah. a secure person is that they know that, uh, those kind of situations do uh-huh. not dictate who they, who they are. are yeah. right. So, so they, are, they, are, they are secure about themselves. Yeah, right. they are secure about right. themselves. So right. yeah, Got that's it. that. But having said that, yeah. I, I think another caveat to put out there yeah. right, is that attachment style, right, is not static. Right. Right. You can really change your attachment style um, across, across, time. Right. across time or like through different relationships, right? Mm. When you are a secure person, right. but let's say if you are in a relationship with an avoidant, mm. that could potentially bring up like the anxiety in mm. a secure person as well. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's it's really a spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah it's not cut in, cut yeah, in stone. Not it's cut not in stone. neat packages. Correct, right? correct, yeah. Yeah, I think, th- I think that's, that's, that's what I learned. Uh, you know, across four years in psychology, mm. it's really there's really a lot of nuances that yeah. it's almost almost always never like a cut and dry kind of situation. Uh, there's so there's so much nuances that that needs to come into consideration. But I think mm. having awareness of all these attachment styles mm. uh, is is vitally important because it it shows up in uh, even in our work as well, right? Yeah. So do you have an example of how it actually shows up in our work, right? Huh. I feel I've not really observed mm. much of that. Right. I think I would think that generally an avoidant person is not able to have difficult conversations. conversations. Right. So criticisms. Yeah, I oh feedback, yes, correct. Right. I think yeah. they they find it very hard to digest um a lot of like criticism right. or like um difficult it's about, conversations. It's about self-worth and self-esteem yeah, that comes with you know, yeah. having that kind of attachment style, right? Yeah, so correct. So they take it harder than someone else. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That, that's essentially it. Mm, mm. Got it, got it. Well, you know, it's always been a very interesting conversation with you. That's mm. why, you know, I've I always had a pleasure with, uh, you know, having, having long chats with you. So thank you so much for Likewise. being on Likewise. the show. Thank you so much. And we wish you all the best in your path in really... Hopefully, one day, you know, make an impact in reshaping the, 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 the education scene as well. Perhaps. We'll see, we'll see yeah. how it goes. Yeah, yeah but thank you for having me too. Thank you thank so much. Thank you.